from the EBKV Studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to BPW Radio on Brotherly Pod with your hosts, Bobby, Mike, and Dan. Welcome everybody to BPW Radio here on Brotherly Pod. This is uh, our post-free agency episode. We will have uh, Bobby Tommy's join us in a couple minutes here, but we do have a uh, returning co-host, Mike Asito's back on the program. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. How you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm feeling feeling much better. Uh, for anybody who listened to last night's episode, you know I got uh, quite a bit of frustration out on that one. Uh, much needed, much needed, uh, you know, yelling, but uh, much calmer tonight, at least for now. The Flyers didn't do anything stupid today, so there's nothing to really get too angry about. But, uh, Mike, it's been a while since you joined us. Uh, you want to just give us your overall impression of the Flyers offseason thus far? Yeah, sure. I've had a, uh, a couple-week uh, hiatus with uh, some personal matters going on. It's been busy as hell for me, but I was able to catch up over the past few days as to what's been happening around the league and especially what's been going on with the Flyers here. And after thinking about it for a while, my my main takeaway, my main theme of what the Flyers have done is underwhelming and uninteresting. Um, I think that what Chuck Fletcher has done has made sense in terms of it being his first year. But the problem is, is that we're looking at him in the context of what Ron Hextall did for five off seasons. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, or a couple of months ago, that there's just so much to do in one year. It's going to be really, really tough for one GM to do all that. And I think that they are teetering on a balance between trying to win now and trying to plan for the future. And I don't think that you can move forward like that. It's kind of like the Sixers were before they started the process is they finished as a playoff bubble team all the time in eighth seed and got their asses kicked in the playoffs. And I get the sense that the Flyers are in a similar position right now. Um, In my opinion, after thinking about this for a while, I don't know if I blame Chuck Fletcher or even Ron Hextall for this, I think it goes even higher. I, I'm i looking towards Dave Scott on some of these moves here. And the reason I say that is because someone needs to give the front office their marching orders. And sometimes when you're an owner, you need to have your ear to the ground, at, at least to some degree, with player personnel decisions. You're obviously not making those decisions single-handedly, but you can't be just totally removed from the entire process. And you need to provide your front office with some level of direction. And I don't know if Dave Scott is really doing that right now because we see aging vets like Drew and Voracek who are certainly in their prime and coming out of their prime. And then we see way down the line a bunch of kids that are 19, 20, 21, 22 years old that aren't ready for prime time yet. And I think that the distance there is just a little bit too disparate to actually win with. Um, So that's kind of where I'm at with them. It's not to say that they can't win in the future. It's not to say they're going to be a bad team in the future. I just don't know if this is coalescing in the way that a lot of us anticipated it would. And and that's something I've been alluding to for weeks at this point, and, and I'm sure I yelled about it last night, but 
I look at the roster, I have it pulled up in front of me here, and I just don't see how this is going to mix. You know, you have your veterans, and, and you're hoping that Claude Giroux can hold out three, four, five more years, and I just don't think he can do it. I don't want to, you know, by no means do I want to tear down Claude Giroux or, or doubt him, but realistically, how much more time does he have as a top-line producing forward? You know, two, three years, maybe, before he starts to really see a decline. You got Jake Voracek, who's about as useless as they come now. You got Kevin Hayes locked up long-term. Van Riemsdyk's long-term. I, I just, and you got the kids like Nolan Patrick and Lindblom, and, and I, I don't want to come off negative here, but but none of them are quite the superstars yet. They're They're not there yet. You know, and you're the longer you wait for the development, the longer you're delaying Giroux and Voracek and and whatever is left of this core. It's just, I don't know. It just doesn't line up to me, and that's my biggest worry this off season is that they didn't shoot high enough. They didn't they didn't try to capitalize the best they could for this summer. It feels like they tried to go all in. And they just didn't get anybody big enough to say, all right, this is the year where we're going to go from a bubble team to a legitimate contender to try and get something out of Giroux. It feels like they went, we're going to just try to make the playoffs and ride the same, you know, hype we've been riding for five years now. Yeah, it's a, um, when you look at the roster, it's it's a little strange because a lot of people have talked about this mentality of hoping, wishing, finger crossing, you know, and praying that certain players are going to either step up, have a bounce back year, or not get injured. And when you look at which players on this roster actually fit into that category, it's staggering. It's 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 basically half the roster. So if you look at the category, hoping, finger crossing, praying they step up, praying they don't get injured. I made a list here, and I've got 11 players. I got Nolan Patrick, Ivan Provorov, Travis Sandheim, Shane Gostisbehere, Phil Myers, Sam Morin, Brian Elliott, Carter Hart, Oscar Lindblom, Matt Niskanen, and Justin Braun. That's 11 players. I think every single one of those fits into the category while saying, well, I hope I hope he gets better. I hope he has a bounce back year. He better not get injured. Uh, that is way too many players. If you're trying to win something now, you can't have a roster with that many players that fit that classification. I called that the what if factor last night. Sure, sure. The 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 you know, what if Nolan Patrick can make it? What if he doesn't make it? What if Lindblom continues to develop and, you know, adds some scoring to his game? Then he's legit. But what if he doesn't? What if Travis Konechny can't live up to the top line hype? What if Niskanen can't hang? What if Braun can't hang? What if Provorov doesn't rebound? What if Gostas Bears doesn't do anything again this year? You know, there's so many questions. And it's it's that uneasy feeling. And I have people on Twitter, and we all know how I feel about Flyers Twitter, but, the, oh, well, you know, oh, you have no reason to be unconfident. I'm confident the Flyers are going to be good this year. I know it, I know it, I know it. Do you, though? How can you look at this roster and be so confident? And I've said it a hundred times. They will be better this year. There's no way that this roster is worse than it has been the past five years. But by no means do I think this is going to be a super competitive roster, especially when you look at how good not only the Metro, but the East got. The Flyers essentially need to get a top three Metro spot to make the playoffs because teams like Florida, Buffalo, and Montreal are probably going to be aiming at the wildcard spot. Exactly. 
and I think it's fine if they want to do you know this rebuilding stuff. I think that's fine. And, and the thing is, is that you know I'm coming into this. I'm mean, just a little background on me. I I actually bought season tickets for the Flyers seven years ago, and I did that with the understanding that there is going to be rebuild time built into this. I didn't expect to win to uh, win right to win right away. Um, I knew it was going to be two, three, four, even five years before this machine started to turn. And now that we have just completed this offseason, at least seemingly, and they still seem like they're in the same spot, and it's just, oh, well, let's let's see what the young guys do. I'm like, I wanted to see what these young guys were going to do years ago. Why am I still now, seven years later, saying, oh, well, let's see what the young guys can do? I, I think in terms of my perspective, it's just so frustrating to watch this shit happen. And, and I, I said it on Twitter, this coming season feels like the transition year that we've been waiting for and we've been promised yes. for the past two or three years. Oh, this is the year things are going to turn around and this is the year that maybe they make the playoffs and maybe they get passed around. Like, we've been saying this for years now. I, I Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I mean, this year should have happened last year or the year prior, yes. but it was just so slow to integrate the young prospects and you had the wrong veteran players that were trying to support them. Uh, one thing that Fletcher did do really well was trim the major fat off of the team this year, which he did a great job. I give him an A plus in that category, but you can see that they had the wrong guys that were trying to fill these veteran roles. And now they have to get new veteran guys to fill those veteran roles. And we're kind of starting the cycle over again. Um, that's the that's the thing I think that really irks me too. And the other thing that I want to get into as well was I am I actually probably am a little bit more positive on the Kevin Hayes signing than most people are. However, I am not positive at all on the Niskanen and Braun signings or trades and the Elliott signing. And here's why. Because at least with Kevin Hayes, he is a second line center. And I think that he is going to slot in appropriately as a second-line center. These other three guys are going to be asked to do way more than they're capable of doing in their careers at this point. Matt Niskanen is going to be asked to play top-pair minutes with Ivan Provorov. Justin Braun is going to be asked to play second-pair minutes with probably Travis Sandheim. Those two guys aren't suited for those roles anymore. Maybe a couple of years ago that would have worked, but not now. So at least in my opinion, they're trying to you know, squeeze blood from a stone that they're not going to get anything from. And this is the exact same thing they tried to do with some of the previous veterans that were on the team, like Andrew McDonald and Yori Laterra and Dale Weiss and all those guys. So it's the same type of mold. Obviously, Matt Niskanen and Ryan Braun are better players than those guys. However, they're not a first and second pair defenseman. So, and I realize that they're on short-term deals and we just got to go through this, uh, this next year again. But, you know, they had the opportunity to do better, at least it seemed like, and they didn't. And that's what really gets me. I also was not happy with Brian Elliott at all. We saw him for two years. He was injured most of the time. I don't want to sit through another year of Brian Elliott getting injured. Why are we hoping that he doesn't get injured again? Um, he was part of the culture of mediocrity. Whenever I look at him in the locker room, he's always just like has that look on his face like, you know what? whatever like you know i'm trying here doing the best i can but whatever and like i don't want to see that anymore i'm sick of that just move on to something else for christ's sake yeah you know hayes has been my whipping boy at this point and sure but I, I just 
It's not Hayes the player. It's not Hayes the money. It's Hayes, you locked up this guy for seven years. You know, I, I've been writing about it in Brotherly Puck Weekly for months. I'm trying to convey to the fans a way to build smart to compete this year and not ruin things for the near future. And I feel like Hayes does that. Hayes adds something now, but again, you're relying on him to be a lot. You're bringing a lot to the table for $7.1 million for seven years. I don't think he's a problem this year. At least not yet. Maybe in December, if he doesn't live up to what he's getting paid, I'm going to have an issue with it then. But that's a different story for a different day. But, yeah, what's interesting go ahead. As, as well is that um, the Flyers are basically locked into their top six for a long time now, assuming that they signed Travis Konechny to a multi-year deal this summer. Um, their top six ain't going anywhere for at least, well, if let's say Travis Konechny signs like a, I don't know, a five-year deal. The only player's contract that's up in the next couple of years, I think the soonest one is James Van Riemsdyk. Or no, it's Giroux in three years. So you look at Giroux, Couturier, TK, um, Jake Voracek, uh, JVR, and Hayes. Out of those six players, the most recent contract to expire is Claude Giroux in three years. So those guys, you better feel like you can win with them because they're not going anywhere. It's It's so frustrating especially looking at this cap we wasted five years of my life drafting and developing <laughs> these kids and all of a sudden you have huge money tied up in guys that should be going to the kids you got Hayes for seven years Voracek has five Giroux and Couturier each have three but between now and then you have to sign uh you still have Provorov and connecting this offseason you got Patrick Sanheim and Myers next summer you got Hart the summer after that the summer after that you have Frost Farabee and Radcliffe provided they develop into anything where are you going to get this money from? Nobody comes off the books. And then you have to re- yeah. you've re-signed Giroux and Couturier yet. I just, I don't like the way that this is built. And again, people want to focus short term. If you want to focus this season and just this season, fine. But I'm trying to look down the line in two or three years as a way to start building a quote-unquote dynasty here. you got to have some thought to the future. I don't feel like Chuck Fletcher has addressed that in any way. No, I and I think part of that is... You can't have like this top six that's locked in for so many years. At, at, at some point, you need to make a change. And that's why I think a lot of people – or this, I guess, dovetails into why people were wanting a big move is you need to have some sort of turnover here. I mean a lot of these guys have been here for a long time, and I, I'm zeroing in on Jake Voracek on this, is that he still is a valuable player. And you need to have some form of turnover and get value for players. Wayne Simmons is an excellent example example of what happens when you don't do that when you fail to do that is you drive the is you drive the guy from his peak and all of a sudden he takes he takes a nosedive down and you can't get anything for him there's no value there he just disappears i mean right now the equivalent of wayne simmons or i guess the return for wayne simmons is is tyler pitlick it, it was ryan hartman and then the trade from ryan hartman turned into pitlick and now pitlick is a fourth line player who will have for one year and then we won't 
resign next year. So then the whole Wayne Simmons trail will be poof into dust. So you can't let that happen with your best players. At some point, you need to make a big turnover. And it's not with everybody, but a couple of guys here and there, you have to make those risky deals and bring in new blood and new higher-end talent. I don't think you can just sit and say, oh, you know, we'll have this player for eight years, this player for 15 years, this player for nine years, this player for seven years. You can't really do that unless they are unbelievable superstar players that are franchise changing. And I feel like the Flyers are treating far too many players like that. Believe me, I am driving the train of getting rid of Jake Voracek. I would pull the ripcord on that guy as soon as possible because it's just that's it's a it's it's a not a good contract. You know, 8.25 for five more years. What happens if he takes a nosedive this year? Then you're stuck with that contract for four more years. You know, this this is one of those things where not only can you save cap space to give it to guys like Nolan Patrick and Oscar Lindblom, but I just, I never saw the huge positive upside like some people do on Jake Voracek. And, and I just, I don't see it. I think he's more of a negative than a positive. And I would pull the ripcord as soon as possible, get something for the guy. Like you mentioned, Wayne Simmons. What happens if Voracek nosedives and he produces, he's only a 40, 50-point guy? Then what? You're going to get nothing for him with that contract. You're going to have to accept a sixth-round pick just for somebody to take it off your hands. you got to be smart with this cap space. Yeah, yeah, they need to be careful about letting guys stay on the team for so long. Um, it's just, it's not something that happens very often with teams unless they're like winning multiple Stanley cups. But if you're not really even making the playoffs every year or getting your asses absolutely torched in the first round, I don't think that you can have multiple players on your team that are here for eight plus years. And the Flyers have a couple of those guys. That in my mind is Ron Hextall's biggest mistake. When he took over, he should have blew it up and moved on. Yep. Why did he keep this core? I, I guess the reason being, and what I've been heard over the years, was that he wanted to keep it together for the veteran presence so you can still have some foundations of the organization to kind of guide the kids. And in that sense, I get it, but it's been six years. Like, you could have traded Drew for a first-round pick and got, you know, Patrick Line or something in between, you know? Who knows who they could have drafted with those picks. But it just, I don't know. I just feel like the the old guard is about to fall and the new guard isn't quite here yet. And it's just, we're in that weird, again, transition year that should have happened two or three years ago. And going back to the goaltending, I yelled about Brian Elliott for a good 20 minutes last night I spent on that segment because <laughs> I don't get it. I just, I don't get the move here. I, if you lost Cam Talbot, fine. Like, he wanted to go get started minutes because the Flyers sat him in the pe- uh, the press box for three and a half months. Fine. <laughs> yeah. I get it. You know, but Mike Smith signed for one year at $2 million. Camp Talbot was one year at 2.5. Mrazic was two years at 6.25 together. Lanier signed for one year at five. Like, there were options yeah. out there to bring somebody in that doesn't have an injury history. Does anybody remember how we played eight goaltenders last year? Because Brian <laughs> Elliott missed three months. And I'll give, I'll give the guy credit. When Carter Hart went down after the stadium series, he did come in and he gave the team a fighting chance. But what happens if he gets hurt this year? He's supposed to be the guy that's going to take the weight off of Carter Hart. I only want Carter Hart playing around 50 games this year. There's no reason to run him any higher than that. What happens if Elliot gets hurt? Then it's Carter Hart and Alex Lyon? (laughs) Oh my god. What happens if Carter Hart gets hurt? Then it's Brian Elliott and Alex Lyon? Oh my god. I just, I don't see, unless the slim, the slim possibility that both Carter Hart and Brian Elliott manage to stay healthy and they have a 
perfect 50-30 split this year. I just don't see this working out well this season. Yeah, they needed new blood. I mean, I really liked Robin Leonard a lot. And the deal that the Blackhawks gave to him gave to him of, I guess, one year, five million. I feel like the Flyers could have worked something out like that. I mean, you need a horse like that back there. He's coming off his best season ever, I think, with the Islanders. You need somebody back there that can handle all those situations. Like you said, if Cart if uh, if Carter Hart gets hurt, you put in Leonard for, you know, a month straight or like two months straight, and he can handle that, and they're gonna be good with him as well. Plus, you don't need to get tied with him for four, five, six years. He can sign a one or two year deal, which is fine. So I don't see why they had to go back to Brian Elliott. And I think it's trouble. I, I really think it's trouble. I mean, after the summer that Ron Hextall had, totally ignoring the goaltending position, and like you said, the, the atrocity that was the Flyers goaltending last year, how do you go back in with Brian Elliott as your backstop? I mean, it is just, I don't know why, why they're doing that. And also Cam Talbot. What the hell is Cam Talbot doing? I actually don't blame the Flyers for that situation. He is not going to all of a sudden be like, oh, I'm a stud goalie. I played one year in Calgary. Yeah, I'm a stud. I'm going to get an eight-year deal for, you know, 50 million. No, it's like, dude, you are an okay goalie. And this situation in Philadelphia probably would have been perfect because you would have split time with Carter Hart for two years. He's already one of your workout buddies from home. Um, You're already here. But I guess, you know, he soured on the organization because Scott Gordon wouldn't play him. Um, but I don't know. That was a, that whole situation is frustrating and absolutely something to keep your finger on as we move into the season. Like, we just saw this movie last year with the goaltending. <laughs> we we yeah. just saw Ron Hextall ignored it completely, and it fell apart before the season even started because Neuwirth got hurt in preseason. Now, granted, I don't think anybody's as fragile as Michael Neuwirth, but Brian Elliott has had three major injuries in the past two years. Like, yeah. you're asking for trouble here. And if something goes wrong, and the guy they brought in, John uh, John Francois Barubi, who has had <laughs> very minor success in the NHL with the Islanders, like, <laughs> he's not going to be any bigger help than Alex Lyon is. And if Elliot no. goes down, it's going to be one of those two. It's going to be Lyon or, or Barubi. And I don't trust either one of them. They're certainly not going to throw Sandstrom in the middle of this yet. And there's no, no reason they should. I just, like... Uh, yeah, I don't know why you don't insulate yourself more. I mean, I, I mean, you could have. Yeah. Why don't you insulate yourself more? And everyone's saying, oh, the Brian Elliott, he's such a great guy in the locker room, and it's only a million bucks or, or, or whatever. Is it, what is it, one year, two million? Yes. Like, I don't care if he's making one million, two million, three million, four million. I want someone who can adequately play the position and back up Carter Hart and come into situations that are needed during the season. I don't give a shit. Oh, it's such a good deal for one year. Fuck deals. I don't care. I want the team to be good. And I don't want Carter Hart to get all screwed up because we have, because he has no backup. So, and I've been preaching. I know people don't want to hear anything negative about Carter Hart whatsoever, but listen, he had a good rookie year. Much, to, you know, to the surprise of me, especially, I thought for sure he was going to come in and maybe not be able to hand it, but he did. But listen, young goaltenders that come in and have good rookie seasons historically don't do very well after that. Marc-Andre Fleury, Carey Price, Jonathan Quick, just to name three, three names that you'll recognize. Go look at their stats. They came in like a house of fire, and then it took two or three years before they got their feet back under them after that. Maybe it won't happen to Hart. Maybe he's different. But I, I would have... That's the situation more than anything that drives me nuts. Is like, they should have done better goaltending-wise. J.F. Barubi, 
He's played 34 NHL games with a 339 GAA and an 898 save percentage. Alex Lyon has played 13 NHL games with a 305 goals against and an 894 save percentage. Those are that is your parachute in case Brian Elliott or Carter Hart get hurt. <laughs> oh I my mean, god. I look at the goaltending situation and I think that the Flyers were trying to do kind of like what Tampa Bay did with Vasilevsky in terms of how he was integrated via Ben Bishop. And that worked out really, really well for the Lightning. They had a guy like Ben Bishop who was a very good NHL-level goalie. They got some great years out of him. Vasilevsky was slowly integrated onto the team and eventually took the reins away from him. And it was a really good transition. The Flyers don't have the luxury of doing that, but they could have made it an easier transition than what they're doing. They're making it unnecessarily hard on themselves and hard on him. And that's, you know, that, that goes back to, you know, the wishing, the hoping, the finger crossing, the praying, all that crap. It's just, you didn't need to do that this year. Um, so it, I don't know. The more I think, I don't even want to think about goaltending. It drives me so nuts with this team. I just want to like block it out and think about some other aspect of the team. And just every time we circle back to goaltending, I'm like, shit, I want to talk about this. <laughs> I just, I have people say, but Carter Hart's here. The goaltending solved. And I'm like, really fool? Is it? Because he, I see just as 20. many, I see just as many problems here as there were last year. The lone exception is that you have Carter Hart, but outside of Carter Hart, you got nothing. And you can't ride this kid for 82 games a year. I wouldn't even play him more than 50. There's no reason to throw this guy to the Wolves right now. None. Especially in this quote-unquote transition year because you didn't make the team as good as you could have been anywhere else. I mean, he's only 20 years old, and he played – he didn't even play a full season last year. He came in in December after the team had sucked for a couple of months. Um, And then he had uh, at least one injury that put him out – later in the spring. Uh, so it's not like you, yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right, Dan. You can't ride him for 75 games this year. It is impossible. He's going to need to acclimate and they provided no cushion for him to do so. I just, it's so, goaltending is so frustrating. Like, why didn't they get somebody else? Now, granted, they kind of screwed themselves with the cap space, but like, you could have worked something out to get Lanier. Yeah, they could have. Absolutely. I mean, why not? Or I don't I mean, I was in the room with Cam Talbot, but I mean, they I really would have pushed to keep Cam Talbot here, or, you know, for a two year deal, maybe give him an extra mill or something like that to keep him here. Uh, but that just would have been that was it right there. That was that was the path that you probably should have went on. Plus, Talbot had immense success under Elaine Vigneault's system with the Rangers, and he'd be getting a virtually similar system here as we get into next season. So that is something that the Flyers, I was I was hoping, were able to use to lure him in. I have a very love-hate relationship with Cam Talbot. I'm not a fan of his as a whole. I think he rode the, um, excuse me, he rode his uh, run in New York too high, like a 940 save percentage or whatever was in New York. And he goes to Edmonton, and he played a lot of games. He had, what, 72, 73 starts at one season. 60, almost 70 in the season after. Like, he played a lot of games, but his numbers weren't overall that impressive. And then he comes to Philadelphia, and, like, I was mad they traded Stolars for him, because I liked Stolars. And then he comes in, and 
it's like you don't use the guy. Like, I'm not a fan of his, but the fact that they sat him in the press box for three months, they played him 90 minutes of hockey in the first month and a half he was here before the last five games of the season when he got thrown to the Wolves after the team gave up. How do you, uh, who knows, uh, who knows what Cam Talbot even brings to the table because he never got a legitimate shot here. The whole point of bringing him in was to test the waters to know what he could do this year. And I get yeah. Scott Gordon was coaching for his job and he had to, you know, ride Hart and ride Elliot and the ones that gave him the best fit. And he didn't play Moran or Talbot till the very end of the season. But like from a development standpoint, and you'd go, go down there, slap Gordon upside the back of the head and say, listen, idiot, play Cam Talbot. The future of this franchise is going to depend on it. <laughs> yeah, I know Chuck Fletcher was new, but for fuck's sake, I mean, he's the general manager. He brought in this guy. Scott Gordon is obviously not going to be here long term at the NHL level. So be like, dude, play my guy. If you don't play my guy, you're gone at the end of the year. And he was gone anyway. So you just, you know, it was a losing opportunity as soon as he got here because the head coach wouldn't play him. <laughs> just I don't know. I I know the GMs want to let the coaches coach, but at the same time, there needs to be some sort sort of communication between them and say, look, I'm not bringing in this goalie for you to not play him at all for the rest of the season. Absolutely not. It's just horrible communication on that point. Oh, God, this goaltending just drives me nuts. Like I, they got Carter yeah. Hart, but it's great. But like, you don't got anybody else. I just. Uh... So frustrating to talk about. No. Yeah. And one other thing I want to bring up, Dan, that I found to be kind of interesting, and I know that we kind of hinted at this, but you know, when you look at all of the all the capital, all the assets that that someone has, that a GM has uh, to use, and you're talking about cap space and prospects and picks and current roster players as the four main groups of things. When the Flyers went into this offseason, they had better capital, better assets than I think possibly any team in the entire NHL and certainly were better positioned than they had been in I don't know how many years since I can remember. And the funny thing is, is that I'm okay with them not trading a lot of the prospects, but Chuck Fletcher didn't trade a single one. He didn't trade one freaking prospect for anything. I don't know how you do that. I know that they're afraid of losing someone, that they're going to turn into a superstar elsewhere. They don't want to let that happen. But Jesus, not a single prospect was traded, not one. I mean, you have to you have to use that as your advantage. And and the fact that he didn't do it, I think, is very, very difficult to accept because there is no way that all of these prospects are going to have a shot to play for the Flyers. There are going to be ones that either sit in the AHL uselessly or unnecessarily and uh, and lose their trade value because they're getting stuck in some sort of minor league hockey hole. Uh, and the fact that he didn't trade anyone from that prospect pool, that was one thing that I really was not happy with during this offseason as well. What's funny is I've seen people praise Chuck Fletcher because he didn't trade anybody. And yeah. It, it's like, yeah. uh, listen, aside from Frost and Farabee, maybe Ratcliffe, 
those are the only three I'd keep. You got bodies. You got Strom, Torinsky, uh, LeBerg, Vorobiev, Rubisov, Allison, Bonham, and you got all these players that are just going to sit in the Phantoms. Now, granted, I have Phantom season tickets. So I'm excited. I'm going to see some good hockey. But, like, you could have used these guys to get a legitimate defenseman, a legitimate second-line center, a legitimate goaltender, and make some noise here. How hard is this? Yeah, I I mean they treat these guys like gold and I was shocked with that. I mean, I was I was very very surprised that that, that Chuck didn't create a package of maybe like two prospects and a roster player, um something kind of like the Colorado uh and Toronto trade that we saw um I guess like 2 days ago where you saw multiple players and picks going in each direction. I don't know why they couldn't do that because now's the time to do it. Like you probably won't be able to do that later because you're not going to have the cap space to absorb things or you're going to be short on prospects or short on picks or something, but they just weren't able to capitalize at this point. I think that's the, that's the tough thing to accept. Well, let's, uh, let's run through some of the notable free agents here. I have, uh, the ones I list them last night. Shovel will go through again. Cam Talbot went to Calgary one year, 2.75 Pavelski and Perry end up in Dallas. Pavelski is three years at 7 million per, uh, uh Perry is one year at 1.5 with incentives that can carry him up to 3.25. Our old friend Valtteri Filpla goes back to Detroit for two years. Mike Smith goes to Edmonton for a year. Bobrovsky lands in Florida for seven years at 10 million per. They're going to regret that sooner rather than later. Zuccarello and Hartman both end up in Minnesota. Uh, Zuccarello five years at 30 million. Ryan Hartman got two years at 1.9 per. Kincaid goes to Montreal to back up Carey Price after uh, Ant- uh, Antti Niemi fled to Europe. Wayne Simmons goes to New Jersey for one year at $5 million. Panarin lands, uh, lands up with the Rangers. Seven years, $81.4 million, which breaks down to 11.6 a season. Jason Spezza goes to Toronto on a league minimum, uh, league minimum 700000 for one year. Vancouver, bolt, well, you can call it bolsters, maybe. Uh, just adds to it, I guess. Tyler Myers, uh, Jordy Ben, and Oscar Fettenberg. Uh, big one there is Myers at five years, $30 million. I have no idea what they're thinking. Uh, Mrazek stays in Carolina for two years. Lanier goes to Chicago one year, $5 million. Giannis Donskoy goes to Colorado for four years at 15.6. Columbus tries to reclaim something. They pick up Gustav Nyquist for four years at 5.5 per. Uh, Varlamov goes to the Islanders for four years at 5 million per. Strawman goes to Florida for three years. Uh, Anders Lee resigns in New York for seven by seven. Mir stays in San Jose for six or four more years. And Curtis McElhaney goes to Tampa Bay for two years at one point three uh mike what were your thoughts about free agency yesterday uh man that's a whirlwind Dan. there were a lot of stuff going on <laughs> um i mean i think you have to first look towards what the rangers did with landing panarin i mean that is a huge huge score for that organization right now to bring him in i think i saw a graphic uh outside of madison square garden with like a giant jumbotron with panarin's name and face on it and i was thinking oh why don't the flyers do that with like justin braun That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, I, I, you know, it's it just like, you know, like sarcastically, like how ludicrous it is that the Rangers got Panarin and, and the Flyers. Well, we got Justin Braun. So, huh, yeah, that sort of shit. But, um, you know, the first team to look at is the Rangers. They, I think they brought in a top pairing right hand defenseman in Truba a week ago. They land the most 
coveted free agent of the offseason in Panarin, uh, and then they get a little bit of draft luck and get Capo Caco. I mean, those three players, that is incredible haul. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be up on that train at MSG this year watching that Rangers team because they're going to be pretty fun to watch. I don't know about their defense. <laughs> defense may not be so hot, um, but I think that offensively they're going to be really, really cool to watch. Yeah, uh, you know, I've heard <laughs> – <laughs> I, I'm a fan of what they've done. Uh, between Truba and and Panarin and, you know, the fact that they still have a semi-decent team there to begin with. Um, You know, the Rangers were fairly competitive through most of the season in the Metro until the very end when they kind of fell off a cliff and they finished, uh, I believe, second last behind the uh, Devils. But they they had the summer that I wanted the Flyers to have, that's for sure. Uh, You know, is it enough to keep them going? I don't know. We'll wait and see. But, uh, you know, the Metropolitan Division, and I yelled about this last night as well, but... This is going to be a very interesting division because I think the top dogs in Washington and Pittsburgh are starting to come down. And some of the lesser guys are starting to come up. And some of the teams that had success last year may not have the same success this year. You know, you got the Capitals and Penguins that are still coasting. Quite, quite frankly, I think is Crosby and Ovechkin, as long as they're still playing, those teams are still going to be, you know, perennial playoff teams. The Islanders took a couple big losses this year. They didn't get Panera, didn't get Bobs. They lost Lanier. You know, they got Varlamov, but, you know, who knows what he can provide at this point. You got the Hurricanes, who managed to keep Sebastian Ajo after Montreal's pathetic attempt at an offer sheet yesterday. We'll talk about that towards the end here. But, you know, uh, uh, Blue Jackets got significantly worse. The Devils got better, and the Rangers got a lot better. And the Flyers are somewhere in between. And like I said at the beginning, you look over at the Atlantic Division, you still got the three powerhouses in Tampa, Boston, and Toronto. But the Panthers got a whole lot better. The Canadians and Sabres are pretty good, and if they can get their shit together, they can be super competitive. The Canadians were in a playoff race till the very end. They finished, uh, what, two points behind Columbus for that last Uh wildcard spot. So they had it there. If the Sabres don't completely tailspin like they did towards the end of the year, they could be in there as well. I just, I don't feel confident that the Flyers could crack the top three of the Metro. And if they can't do that, I'm not sure that they can make a playoff run at all because I think the wild card is going to be very tight over in the Atlantic division this year. Yeah, they're not. It's funny. The other teams aren't just going to sit and wait until the Flyers get good. Yeah. Like, that's going to be like, oh, you know what? We were good a couple years ago. You know, we're bad now. We're just going to let you be good for a little bit. It's not going to work that way. They are aggressively adding. I mean, the Devils and the Rangers have aggressively added. Now, as a whole, are those rosters as complete as the Flyers right now? Maybe not, but they're getting close, and they're getting close really fast, really fast. I mean, look at Jeff Gordon at the Rangers again. I mean, he he did this in two years. Yes, It took him two years to do basically what Ron Hextall was trying to do in nine. It's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, he used everything to his advantage, and he moved some of his core pieces – Maybe a little bit before he wanted to. Uh, he used his cap space. He used his draft picks. And he got a little bit lucky here and there. And all of a sudden, the Rangers have a competitive roster. You look at what the Devils did. The Subban deal is, I mean, that is the one that is such a head-scratcher. I think we looked at last season the Ryan O'Reilly lack of trade that the Flyers didn't make but should have and could have. I think we may look at that Subban deal this year and say, why would you not give up? 
probably what maybe a pick or two and Robert Haig for the Predators to get that cap relief. Flyers could take on Subban as their as a top pairing guy with Proborov uh, for the next three years. It's just, and instead they get Niskanen and Braun, who are making I think a little bit more than Subban, or just around the same amount. It's like half a million so, more. Yeah. Okay, so you know why would you not? I mean, did they just not talk to David Poyle in Nashville. <laughs> why was this not consummated for the Flyers? Why did we have to do these other two moves of obviously lesser players, and uh, and the Devils can swoop in and trade a bunch of crap? and get their number one defenseman, and all of a sudden, they're looking pretty good. Subban is a guy I really, really wanted. And I had the thing where, trade Jake Voracek for him. And then the news came out at the draft that, oh, well, it's a salary dump. I'm like, okay, fine, then trade, you know, you got a whole freaking hall of prospects here. Get rid of some of them to make this move. And nope. Instead, we have Niskanen and Braun, and people are trying to convince themselves that Subban isn't good, and he's old, and he's slowing down. And listen, maybe he is. He didn't have the best season last year, but he's going to go into New Jersey and be the unquestioned number one guy there. And he's going to be with Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and Taylor Hall. You know, I look at the Devils roster and I don't necessarily fear them, but if they, if their players all come together and the chemistry's there and Jack Hughes and Heischer and and Zacco, whoever the hell is there, they all take big steps. They could be, they can make some noise. I don't think they're going to go away as easily as they did last year. No, I don't think so either. And and the difference is with the Devils is they're not they don't really need to hope and pray too much. I mean, they've got extremely high end talent on that team. They have they have two number one pick centers that uh, with incredible pedigrees in Heischer and Hughes. You know that those guys are going to be good. They have Taylor Hall, who's a Hart Trophy winner. You know he is one of the best players in hockey. And Subban still has a couple of good years left in him. And people say with Subban, oh, well, oh, he's injured a little bit, you know, so we don't want him. It's like, well, you think Matt Niskanen was out for half of last season with injuries. <laughs> so it's like, what do you think? Oh, yeah, Matt Niskanen's such a rock. I mean, no, he's a couple years older. And it's like, why not? It's only three more years for Subban. If you want to win with Drew and Voracek, why not? Why not bring him in? I, I, I don't know. Sometimes it. Sometimes with me, man, it's like with this team, I feel like management knows they can't win with these top-level guys, but they still will be like, eh, you know, we'll give them a little bit but not everything and try to play that, you know, I want my, I want to have my cake and eat it too sort of shit. Uh, oh, man, sorry to get back to the flyer stuff, but it's just like when I compare and contrast things that the Rangers and Devils have done this offseason, it's like a dagger. <laughs> People call me negative. I don't think for a second I'm being negative. I think I'm being realistic. I'm surveying the scene here. I would love to live in fucking fantasy land where the Flyers, man, they're great, and Hayes is legit, and and Niskanen's good. He's like, he's 20 again. Oh my god, it's great. I just don't. There's so many question marks on this team that I can't sit here and be excited going into this year. We tried this shit last year. I bought into the James Van Riemsdyk hype. I, the, I tried, and what happened? By December, they were out of the playoffs because they suck. Sure, Dave Hextel sucked. Sure, Ron Hextel burned the team down. But, like, they could have tried. There was the same talent as on this team. They didn't add any talent. You know, you got Kevin Hayes who's going to be a penalty kill guy. But other than that, you know, Braun and Niskanen are there to eat minutes to take away from Provorov so you don't run him into the ground anymore. It's not like they added a Panarin that adds legitimate talent to the team. 
you're relying on the same players that you did last year. You're relying on Nolan Patrick to step up to the plate sooner or later. You're relying on Lindblom to take some time to connect me to become a legitimate top-line guy. Like, there's no... You're, I'm looking at the rest of these teams here, and besides the Blue Jackets that are probably going to, you know, fall a little bit, everybody else is competitive. I think everybody in the uh, Metropolitan Division is going to be more or less at the same level. You know, I don't look at this division, and, you know, the Penguins have, have made some really bad moves over the last six months, and the Capitals, I think, are starting to come down from their cup high, but, you know, they're not as unbeatable as they were before. These two teams aren't, but, you know, you look at teams like the Islanders that, they weren't good last year, but their system was good. Their coaching was good. Their goaltending was good. If they get those couple things again, they could be competitive. If the Hurricanes continue to add, maybe they bring in another trade and somebody else brings something. Who knows? Maybe they'll be better. Rangers and Devils unquestionably got better. I don't think there's a standout in this division one way or the other, but I don't think there's anybody that's really down. I think this is a free-for-all at this point. Yeah, yeah, these teams... It's going to be tough. Um, you know, it's funny if you look at last offseason and you look at a, you know, a team like the Islanders. It's like, oh, you know, that team is going to be one of the worst in the league this year. They're going to suck for years after losing John Tavares. All of a sudden, they have a pretty damn solid year. Uh, and they come into this offseason and they're able to, I guess they retained Anders Lee uh, today or yesterday for like a seven or eight year deal. They bring in Varlamov, who I like as a long term goalie. He is injured sometimes, but he's pretty good. Um, so, they're going to be at the same level that they were last year, I think. They still have Barry Trotz. They have a lot of momentum. Um, they're a team to watch out for. Um, uh, the Hurricanes, I'm not sure if they can replicate what they did last year. I think they caught a lot of lightning in a bottle. Um, I don't really believe in that roster totally. But it's not to say that they can't you know, have a decent season or they're going to be a cakewalk to walk over. Um, but, yeah, the Flyers have a tough road, man. They have a tougher, even with an improved roster, they got a lot to prove. And I don't think it's going to be easy either. Look over in the Atlantic. Florida got a whole lot better. The biggest oh, thing yeah. they've been missing for years is a goaltender. And they got one of the best in the game. And a coach. <laughs> and a coach. Yeah, they got Coach Q. And then you got Montreal, who is still pretty good. You know, they fought to the bitter end last year. And they made a couple additions. Sabres didn't make any really no, uh, noteworthy additions, but there's enough talent on that team that it wouldn't surprise me if they can get their shit together in one season. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I don't know. I I wish, I wish I could sit here and say, man, the Flyers are a playoff team this year. Man, they win around for the first time since 2012. Man, I wish. But I just, I don't have the confidence. And if you, listening to this, if you have the confidence, great! All the more power to you, bud. But I just don't have it. I want them yeah. to prove it to me. I don't want to sit here and rely on this. I don't want to sit here in, what is it, July now? I don't want to sit here in July and go, man, this team's going to be great. Because I did that last year. And look what happened. They ate shit a month into the season. And again, I, different scenarios this year. But overall, I don't feel it. I feel like a lot of people, and like this is just a difference in mentality, is that a lot of people view this Flyers team as like their retirement fund. And I've brought this up on Twitter and maybe some podcasts before, but like I don't look at the Flyers team and think, ah, oh, you know what? Maybe in like eight, 10, 12 years, let's see where they're at, that sort of thing. Let's just let it, you know, a slow growth like sort of thing. Like I was at that mentality seven years ago, even as much as two years ago, but. I don't I don't look at the Flyers like a retirement portfolio and say, oh, you know what? Well, they're not going to do that. So just let this happen. It's going to just progress slow, 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 slow. I'm like, 
why do you want that in sports? What the hell are you paying attention to? Like, what is in your life where you're like, ah, in sports, let's just wait it out. Wait, 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 wait. It's just, I don't understand how people have that mentality. Maybe it's, you know, younger folks that are just getting into the team in the last year or two, and they don't quite have the same perspective that you and I might have been through multiple decades of Flyers hockey. Um, but I just, I just can't see why, why people are just so accepting of, of just, of just teasing this out, just continually this slow grind. Like we're not getting any younger, man. Like I'm not going to have, I'm not going to have season tickets forever. This shit's too expensive. I have it while I live in the city and I have access to the Wells Fargo center. Um, you know, once we get older, we're going to, you know, we're not going to be able to watch this team as much anymore. I want to do it now. This is our lives are now our lives aren't in eight years from now or 10 years like Ron Hextall wanted. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I don't understand that mentality that a lot of people tend to have. And, um, I'm not sure. I'd like to hear them explain it actually. Like I grew up in the late nineties and early two thousands. Losing was not a fucking option back then. You think they had, I give this analogy. You think last night you think they had, Lindros and LeClaire and said, man, we got two pieces here, but we're going to wait. We're going to wait for this first round pick to show up so we can do it then in five years from now when he's ready. No, you assholes. He came in and they made noise and they made the playoffs every year. And they made long runs in the playoffs every year. They made the conference finals in 95. They made it to the Stanley Cup final in 97. Lost to the, uh, committed to the conference final in 2000. Conference final in 04. Come on now. When the hell was last time? 2012 was last time they even made it out of the first round. They haven't made it to a game seven in a first round since the Rangers in what? 2013? 2014? Uh, 2014. They made it to game seven. That's it. It's six games to get beat by the Capitals and six games to get beat by the Penguins. All, what, 12 of those games were not pretty. That Washington series was ugly. That Pittsburgh series was fucking atrocious. Ugh. Man, I will never forget that Pittsburgh series. Oh I will never God. forget the amount of money that I spent on those playoff tickets. You and idiot. I come in and the team. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just should have given them up. I really should have. But <laughs> you know, the tickets go up in price substantially um, at face value uh, for those playoff seats. So I actually, I think I went. I forget what the score. It was you know seven to one or something like that. They got absolutely hammered, mm-hmm. and I think I gave the other tickets to my parents or something for the following. And I felt bad because they got like beat even worse that game. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's like like why am I doing this? Like like how do you come out and get your ass kicked? Like that's the thing that really gets me is is you get your ass kicked at home so many times in that series you get absolutely embarrassed. And then the first game of last season, I'm sitting there by myself. During game one last year or last season against San Jose, they lose eight mm, to two. Yeah. And I was like, fuck this. <laughs> this is over. And uh, that's when it changed for me, man. I was like real balanced for a couple of years with this team. But man, that Pittsburgh series and the first game last year, that first home game, I just snapped. And I was like, I'm done. I'm that, done with this. That Pittsburgh series, if I was Ron Hextel, I would have fired fucking everybody after that series and started again. There is no reason Haxtell should have lasted one minute after Game 6 came to an end. No way. <laughs> yeah. He should have been fired. LaPerriere should have been fired. What were they thinking? Like, the two most memorable playoff series in recent memory for me is the 2012 Penguins and the 2018 Penguins for two completely different fucking reasons. You know, 2012 was fun. That series was great. I will remember yeah, that series till the fucking day I die because it was fantastic. 
And that 2018 yep. series, I will have nightmares about it for 20 more years because it was disgusting. And it was the it was the it was the last step of the huge fall for Dave Hextall and Ron Hextall because they didn't fix it. You made it to the playoffs. You did oh the transition year, Daniel. And then they got blown out of the fucking water by the Penguins. And some people took it as a win just because they made the playoffs. And that's what's going to happen this year, too. If they just barely make the playoffs this year, it's going to be considered a win. And I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the losing. I'm tired of the mediocrity. Take me back to the late 90s when the Legion of Doom was here and they were making the conference finals. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the only mitigating factor, and that some people are against him, but I was really happy that they hired Michelle Therrien as an assistant coach. Because he is a nut job for sure, but he is a hard ass and he's entertaining. And there is going to be a moment. I can't wait for the first time that like Jake Voracek skates around in the offensive zone for like 30 seconds with the puck (laughs) and then like doesn't get a shot off, doesn't get a scoring chance and turns it over after running out of gas and then dogs it back to the defensive zone when the other team scores in transition and Terrian is on the bench just like (laughs) – what the hell did you just do and takes him out to the woodshed in between periods? Like that is going to be at least my moment to say, thank you. Finally, somebody <laughs> is doing something about this. <laughs> like I'm excited by Elaine Vigneault because the possibilities are, the potential is there. I really don't like Mike Yao. I can't stand the guy because I don't think there's a whole lot there as a coach, but of course he's a Minnesota guy. So of course he's here. And Michelle Terry, and I think is to me is the biggest question mark as to what he kind of brings. You know, he, he, he is the notorious hard ass. He's a defensive specialist. So naturally they put him in charge of the forward. <laughs> and <laughs> which, you know, is, is baffling, but he, I think he's going to be the question mark as to kind of what he brings to the locker room. And I think it's about that responsibility and guys like Jake Voracek who have gone unchecked for, Christ knows how long making these stupid fucking mistakes. I don't think it's going to last. So hopefully that's uh, that changes Borchek's game a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they might. I, that's the thing that I'm most excited about going into next season is the coaching staff. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing here. I mean, I was not expecting to be so stoked about a freaking assistant coach. But, I mean, that kind of shows you what the perspective is as to what happened this offseason or what didn't happen and and where we're headed. Um, I think I brought this up like on Twitter like a week or two ago, but I think going back to my main theme of the offseason here was underwhelming and uninteresting is that when is the last time the Flyers brought in a top tier player from outside of the organization? Yarmir Yager, Chris Pronger. One of the- I would say Chris Pronger. Although Yager was phenomenal, I loved him, but I don't know if at that point in his career he was considered top tier. Um, definitely effective, definitely impactful. He certainly gave Scott Hartnell a contract after playing with yeah. him. But but I would say the last legit actual top tier player that they brought in from outside the organization was Chris Pronger. That was 10 years ago. And that's why people are frustrated. We want something else to come in, something new to come in. I don't want to see 13 years of Jake Voracek. I want to see something new come in. This is entertainment. It ain't my mutual fund. <laughs> and that, that to me is just – that's where I lose faith in the team. Like I was expecting something this summer, and they gave me Kevin Hayes. Like shake up the cord. Get rid of Voracek. Get rid of Van Riemsdyk. Make some noise. Do something. Instead, you paid Kevin Hayes $7 million for seven years. You brought in uh, Niskanen and Braun, who I believe last night I described them as old as fuck dirtbags. Uh, <laughs> and I just, 
I, I don't see it. I would love to sit here and be so confident, and I'm glad you are if you are, but don't get mad at me because I see what's actually going on here. I I would love to sit here in December and say, my God, the Flyers are 30 and 5, but pff, let's be real here. They won't be. They just won't be. And quite frankly, even if this group of Flyers, if they open the season 30 and 0, I would guarantee these fuckers would screw it up somehow and miss the playoffs just because I have no faith in them right now. <laughs> yeah, it's it's asking a lot. I mean, I don't see how you can look at the roster and expect the best case scenario with every single one of the question marks that I highlighted earlier. I mean, every single one, everyone's like, oh, yeah, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Like, not all of them are going to have career years right now. There are going to be some of these guys that fall by the wayside that that still struggle next year, whether it's via injuries or they're just not catching on to the NHL level, bad lineup, um, not syncing with coaches for whatever reason. Like there's going to be some attrition in that regard. And it's interesting to me that people are just like, oh, no, all this is perfect. Like mm-hmm. these, we wanted them to develop. We want these young guys to play. I'm like, I want these young guys to play years ago, not now. <laughs> like. I my life is getting shorter, not longer. It's just it, it baffles me the confidence that people have here, and like I just I don't get it. I I don't understand how you can pull up this roster and look at it and go everything's fine. Like maybe it will be. I I would love it to be. I would be the happiest guy in the world if the Flyers played well this year and made the playoffs and made it far into the playoffs. God, I'd be great. I haven't seen that shit in a decade, people. All right, I'd love it. But I just don't see it. You're relying on Kevin Hayes to take a step forward. What happens What happens if Hayes doesn't take a step forward and Nolan Patrick breaks out? All of a sudden, you're paying your third-line center $7.1 million? Are you kidding me, fool? What happens if Voracek doesn't make it? What happens if he nosedives? You're stuck with the contract for five more years at 8.25. You know, I just... I don't want to be negative. I don't want to come off as negative. I know people like to call me that. I don't see myself that way. I'm realistic. I'm trying to approach this roster like it's going to happen. Nothing is perfect. This is not NHL 19. Not, you can't, you're not going to get 100 points for Claude Giroux, and you're not going to blow the team up at the end of the year just because you're bored with it, like you, you know, Van Riemsdyk. Oh, well, Daniel, if the contracts are... Just trade Van Riemsdyk. Just trade Kevin A. Seattle will take one of them. Like, you shouldn't... When Before the no movement was announced for Kevin Hayes, I had people go, oh, well, just let Seattle take him if it doesn't work out. If you're yeah, signing a guy <laughs> for seven years and you want to pull the ripcord in two because it's a shitty contract, you shouldn't sign him to it anyway. Van Riemsdyk, four more years. The first five months of this season, he didn't do anything. He had a good last month and a half. I made note of it during the preseason last year that he looked lost out there. And he was. And then he missed, what, a month with an injury after game two of the season. I just... How much longer can Giroux carry this weight? Who knows? He's going to start declining sooner or later. As much as I don't want to see it, as much as nobody wants to see it, it's going to happen sooner or later. And none of these kids to me, and I know I'm going to get shit on for this, none of these kids to me look like legitimate stars in the making. Maybe Morgan Frost, but other than that, you're relying on a whole lot nothing here. You're relying on a lot of guys. What's the, uh, the word? Quantity, not quality. There's a little bit of quality here, but most of it's just quantity. You got, what, how many forwards do they have in this organization right now? 30 that could make this team? You could make two teams worth of these teams in the prospects. I just, I don't get it. I don't have the confidence. Yeah, they got to take steps. I mean, yeah, I'd be, I'd be thrilled if, you know, we get to 
we get to you know mid-December next year and all of these young guys that we have question marks are excelling and having phenomenal years and like that'd be great that'd be awesome I don't really think that that's a good idea to rely on that right now I think you should have mixed it up more but you know I, I guess we'll see it's gonna be it's just it's just tough to watch it it's just tough to watch all of all of the opportunities that they had this offseason just kind of go by the wayside and just cross your fingers yet again. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. It's like, how many of these players that I listed on that list on free agents before could have made a difference? I would have much rather taken Pavelski and Perry over Kevin Hayes. You know? Yeah, same here. Uh, it's just, I don't, I had Corey Perry. I would have loved Perry as a third line right wing. And especially for one year at 1.5. That is no hassle whatsoever. And he would have come oh, yeah. in. He had 10 points in 30 games, but he only played 30 games because he missed a vast majority of the season. Look at his numbers before that. They were still pretty good. And he bring, he's a prototypical flyer. Physical guy, can score, fast, moves. Sure, he's not what he was 10 years ago, but I would still love him, especially on a one-year deal. You didn't fix the goaltending. I don't care what anybody says, you didn't fix the goaltending. And it's only a matter of time before that catches up to him. And you had all these other guys that were reasonable contracts. And you preemptively signed Kevin Hayes to a seven-year deal. And look at these free agents. Nobody got seven years. The only person that did was Anders Lee, and he was already on the team. Everybody else is four or five. You cannot convince me that this Kevin Hayes deal is good. Oh, Daniel, would you like him better if he was making six and a half million dollars? That's not the point. I don't care what he's making year by year. It's the fact that he's here for seven point seven million dollars for seven years. If he was here for three years, this would be a different conversation. I wouldn't hate this at all. But it's seven years. You're telling me a guy who's 27 years old, who's had one good season in that time, is going to look this good in seven years from now? No! And, oh, Daniel, just trade him. Just buy him out. Just move him to Seattle. Like, this should not be the mindset here. You should have thought smart to begin with. Not how many ways you can pull the ripcord in five years. Don't give him the contract to start. Well, this is going to be interesting to see how this team starts because they have positioned themselves in a very, very challenging area here because if they start the season winning, everything's fine, everybody's pretty good, whatever. If they start mediocre or, like, really shitty, I mean, people are just going to stop paying attention. You know, there's going to be like, why am I watching this team? You got no interesting players in the offseason, zero. Uh, as much as I am kind of liking Kevin Hayes, he's not an interesting move. No. I mean, you got no one interesting. You re-signed freaking Brian Elliott, <laughs> and you're playing two defensemen a slot above where they should be playing in Matt Niskanen and Ryan Braun. So why are people going to watch this team? I mean, you have to be good. If you are not, you are going to fall so hard. And it's going to be so bad. Uh, so that's you know something that is worth paying attention to uh, is the fan base already was teetering, and the fact that they really didn't give any anything for people to look forward to, any big names, any any interesting signings. Nope, nothing like that. So <laughs> it's going to be tough. Sam Pershidi put out a tweet earlier today. From here, the Flyers' offseason wasn't spectacular. Getting Cody and Truba would have made it much better, but it was solid. Your thoughts? And I said, are they better, however marginal it may be? Yes. Is it going to produce success? Maybe. Is it going to put asses in seats? Probably not. Because you didn't bring anybody in. Now, if this group as is in December is winning games, sure. But look what Bryce Harper did for the Phillies. Now, granted, shit's hit the fan since then, but, you know... 
How many tickets did they sell immediately? Carolina Hurricanes, success last year. They did $3 million in new ticket sales this year. Not renewing, new business. Phillies broke records with fucking Bryce Harper. Like, bring somebody in for the Flyers and put asses in the seats. That's what this is about. This is a business. As much as we want to, as fans, call it a team, this is a business. You should have brought in Panarin. You should have brought somebody in. Oh, Dan, it's too expensive. Fuck off. I don't want to hear the excuses. Make a team competitive now. Put asses in seats and turn this fucking ship around. I'm tired of the losing and the mediocrity and the maybe if this gets better and relying on these prospects and none of them turn out to be what we once thought they were. And I'm just tired of it. I just want to watch good hockey. God damn, is that too much to ask? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yes, but yeah, it's a it's it's a very difficult situation going into next year. Um, it is not I as pessimistic as I can be at times. I thought they were going to do more than this. I was I was pretty shocked that they did this, and I know also one of um, one of the best Flyers insiders that I know, Anthony Sanfilippo, was adamant a couple of weeks ago when I was talking with him uh, about this team that, hey, just wait, they're going to do something. Um, you know, the Niskanen and Braun moves aren't it. Something's coming, something's coming. And then he finally admitted, I think, the other day that he's baffled. He was, he was surprised that this is it. This is, this is all they're doing, and they're just going to roll into next year with it. Um, so you know, the fact that there was an insider like that that also was so shocked, I think is pretty telling. I mean, this is not something that was expected. Um, they probably should have done more, and they have a lot of work to do with the fan base at this point because we've been kicked down a lot over the last five, six, seven years. And if they don't win, man, it's going to get real, real ugly. I've used the term consolation prizes in the past. That's a good term for that. Because yeah. Hayes yeah. isn't bad, Niskan and Braun aren't bad, but like, of all the names that were moved, you resigned yourself to the consolation prizes before you even took a swing at somebody. Before they took a swing at Corey Perry, or, or P.K. Subban, or Panarin. Like, you settled for mediocrity before you even gave it a shot. When they first, when they moved, uh, the first move was uh, uh, Niskanen. And I'm like, alright, that's an improvement over Gudis, that's fine. And, oh, well, well, they brought in Kevin, uh, they acquired Kevin Hayes' rights. I'm like, oh. Now, granted, when they brought him in, I fully expected him to get six to seven years at six to seven million, and it was on the high side of both of those. So I'm like, all right, I <laughs> hate this contract, but the player's fine. Mm-hmm. Braun, I'm like, oh, okay, now you're stretching it. And then you resign Elliot. It's like, what the fuck are these guys doing? <laughs> I just, I expected moves to be made, but I expected it to be headlined by one giant pearl you know one big move that that was better than all the rest and that hasn't happened and now that they tie themselves up in salary cap hell it's not gonna happen yeah and i love people that are like oh well oh well that player that top tier player he didn't want to come here oh my god when first of all how do you know that second of all when will they want to come here show me at some point when has someone been like oh yeah 
Philly was the place for me, number one the whole time. That's all I wanted to do was come to the Flyers. Like, you hear that all the time with other players. It's like Eric Carlson wanted to stay in San Jose because he loves it there. Uh, John Tavares loves Toronto. He wanted to he wanted to play for the Maple Leafs. Uh, Artemi Panarin, he picked out a handful of coastal cities. Oh, I love these cities. Uh, Jacob Truba, his wife is in medical school or something in, like, New York or so. Uh, I have to be there. It's like... Why are those dots never being connected for Philadelphia? There's some reason why. Why is that? Is there some sort of disconnect with the with the front office and agents or with the player group and other players? Like that used to happen all the time. And I'm not saying it has to happen with every single top two free agent, but I am just not seeing that happen very often. And it's it's starting to become a little bit strange. I'll put it that way. There was a time in my lifetime when Philly was the place to be. Late 90s and early 2000s, they drew in free agents like crazy. Everybody wanted to play here because they were good. And they were competitive. And you knew you were going to get fucking good hockey here. And now it's Philadelphia, just another place. Fuck, if I was a free agent, I wouldn't want to come here if I had my ear to the ground and knew what was going on. Like, you kidding me? This place is a fucking disaster. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and going back... I brought this up last night, and I yelled, so maybe nobody really heard what I was even saying, but Justin Braun. When they, 24 hours before the Flyers acquired Justin Braun, the Rangers picked up Jacob Truba, and there was 101 excuses why he didn't come here. Mm-hmm. Oh, the trade's not even. Oh, they couldn't match. Oh, too expensive. He didn't want to come here. Oh, there's only been one year. He didn't want to resign. Blah, 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 blah. 24 hours later, the Flyers pick up Braun, and everybody gets mad as hell that they picked up somebody that's old and slow, and his contract's expensive, but he's on a one-year deal, and he's not here long-term, and he doesn't fix it. What do you people want? What do you want? You don't want to be young. You don't want the young guys here, because you're going to have to pay them. You're going to have to pay them. Oh, they don't want to come here. But you don't want an old veteran either. This shit drives me nuts. I hate Flyers Twitter. They well, the all thing with- suck. Well, the thing with Truba that I think is a unique situation is that what people are kind of ignoring is that how often are you able to acquire a top pair right-handed defenseman that has multiple years of successful NHL experience that will that is in his prime and will continue to be in his prime even if you f- sign him to a seven-year deal? Those those parameters never line up. I don't care if you have to get rid of one of your guys that you're high on, one of your prospects that you're high on in order to consummate that deal. The fact that you can plug him in on that top pair for the next seven years, and even if you sign him for seven years, that's awesome. And even if you're not able to, sometimes you got to take a chance. Sometimes you got to take that risk. Maybe he comes here for a year. Maybe he doesn't sign this summer, but he says, you know what? I love the coaching staff, having success here. I love my teammates, so on and so forth. And things change. Opportunities change. Personalities change. Uh, At some point, you got to try to take a risk like that. And he was the guy that I really thought would have helped this defense get over the top and stay over the top for a while. So that was that was one of the reasons why I was so high on him specifically. God, I just Truba that, that's the one that really hurt more than most this summer. It's like you could have had him. And you saw the return, they got nothing for the guy. Nothing, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Bring him on for one or two years. Philadelphia is not that far away from New York. It's not like he's in Winnipeg where he's, you know, halfway across the damn world. You know, I know. he's Two hours yeah. up the street. 
for fuck's sake. It, you know, the, uh, just these damn excuses why they didn't bring him in. Bring yeah, there's too many excuses for too many players. Yeah. There's always there's always an excuse as to why somewhere else is a better fit. At some point, I wanted to just be like, oh, well, Philadelphia is the best fit. For and this offseason seemed like a good time because we could pay. And, I mean, you saw what you had to do with Kevin Hayes. You had to give him – you had to way overpay him to get him to sign here. Yeah. I mean <laughs> – and look at Matthew Shane. I mean, he signed in Nashville for what eight mil oh per seven. I mean, that's a great deal. It's like, oh well, well, he gave him a discount because he wants to play there. Where's our discount with our player? Why don't we ever get one of those? Like, I, Matt Duchesne was, was the one I talked about. True, but now we can talk about Duchesne. People that brought him in and, and was the the excuses immediately started flowing. Oh, he didn't want a player. Yes. He wanted a discount. He wanted a player. Pennsylvania has state tax. Tennessee doesn't. He wanted to play. He didn't want to come here. He didn't want to do this. Even if you include in state tax, it's probably three to $400,000 more that you would have had to pay him to equal what you paid Hayes. And I just... I would much rather have Duchesne at 8.3 than Hayes at 7. You know, you're oh, getting yeah. the better player. The damn excuses by this fan base. And maybe it's so they don't get their feelings hurt. Maybe it's so people don't have to open their eyes and see what's going on. Like you and I that know what the fuck's going on here. Maybe it's it's just just ignorance. Oh, I don't want to know what's going on. Oh, I don't want to make an excuse to Shane so they don't get upset like I do after every single fucking top prospect goes somewhere else. God, yeah, this shit I think frustrates <laughs> me. I think it's a like an unwillingness to, uh, you know, accept that things aren't going the way you want them to go. And it, 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 an unwillingness to understand uh, like a different side of the argument. And like, I'm willing to, you know, give, you know, the flyers credit where credit is due. Um, but it's just, it's a tough, it's a tough spot to be in right now, given the assets that they had to use, the opportunities that were there and everything is kind of snowballing and coming to a head at this off season. Uh, it's unfortunate for Chuck Fletcher and his staff because I don't think Chuck Fletcher's an idiot at all. I think he's actually a very smart GM. But I just don't think that the marching orders were there from ownership and that this roster is going to coalesce. And that's and like we can see it. We've seen this for so many years. We've seen the team. We've seen this group for a long time now. And I, I think that we're able to forecast what's going on fairly well. Um, it could change. Obviously, it's not you know a rock solid prediction, but it just doesn't give you a solid feeling as we move forward. Yeah, and that's that's where I'm at too. It's like I would love yep. to sit here and say with confidence that the Flyers are going to make it, but I don't think it's going to happen. And looking at this roster, I don't feel it. Maybe it happens. Maybe there's a couple other Metro teams that take big shits, and the Flyers have their opportunity to steal a spot. But <laughs> that's the only way I see anything of noise happening this year. And even if they make it, who they're going to face in the first round? Tampa? And then get destroyed? <laughs> face Boston and get destroyed? I just don't think they can. I just, I don't feel it. I'm sorry, See, everybody, but I don't feel it. I think, I mean, looking at it from a little bit differently, I think if they were to succeed with this group and under this coaching staff, the first year would be the year to do it because, like, everything's new and, like, they want to respond to the coaches and and they want to do well. And it's kind of like before that complacency period sets in after you've been in the system for a couple of years with the same coaches, the same team leaders. All the team leaders are kind of the same anyway. But um, I think that if they were to succeed this year, maybe the year to do it. But um, 
it is definitely not a sure thing. Nope. And it just, it sucks. It sucks that we're looking at down the barrel of another mediocre season. And it just, it sucks. (sighs) Well, that's about all the time we have for today. Uh, Mike, where can people find you on Twitter? Sure. I'm at M, like my first name, Mike, M, Death and Taxes. At M, Death and Taxes, the only sure things in life. And the flyer sucking. <laughs> and I'm at Dan the Flyer fan. You can find the site at Brotherly Puck, this show at Brotherly underscore pod, at National Puck, and at National Pod Net for uh, national takes. Uh, listen to last night's show, the Anger Negative show, where I screamed for a good 50 minutes out of the hour that we did that. Uh, Jim just sat back and let me get it. It was very hopeful. I hope you listen to it and feel just as, you know, uh, therapeutic as it was for me uh brotherly puck summer series will return next week top five flyers jersey history and the abbreviated history of series we'll be back next week i didn't want to put anything out this week and interfere with free agency so those all be back next week i don't know when the next show is i'll be back sunday with coast to coast and then after that the episodes uh, episodes are few and far between here for the rest of the summer obviously things are going to start cooling off here soon so uh stay tuned to the twitter page at brotherly underscore pod for future dates for this show as well as the others thank you all for listening goodbye and good night